Welcome to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. This is a podcast all about human behaviour, weaving together fascinating research opinions and real-life experiences. I'll give you a psychologist's insight into how we behave in spaces we live and work in, and how they in turn shape us. This season, we're exploring my favourite topic: imposter phenomenon. So get comfy and let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the first episode in this series of Psychologically Speaking, where we'll take a look at the imposter phenomenon backstory and the narratives around one of the most talked about experiences in business. Imposter phenomenon is characterized as self-doubt, attributing success to luck and a fear of failure or being found out. In almost every article you'll read about imposter, the story you're being told is one where you need to overcome imposter syndrome. It's a narrative that I became increasingly uncomfortable with. What I was noticing with my own clients were the experiences and spaces that heightened self-doubt or feeling lucky and that risk of exposure more than others. I was curious about the syndrome narrative does it accurately describe the experience of imposter? Curiously, for one of the most talked about experiences in business, there was very little research on the way entrepreneurs and people who own their own businesses experienced imposter feelings. Throughout this series, I'm going to use the phrase phenomenon and I'll be talking about imposter experiences and feelings. What we call the experience is important. A syndrome and a phenomenon are two very different things. A syndrome indicates that there's something wrong. It's a set of signs or symptoms. And usually a syndrome is something that we try to fix with either medication or therapy. Importantly, though, a syndrome suggests that the issue lies with the individual. My research really challenges that thinking. And to be clear, medically, imposter syndrome does not exist. So why is everyone calling it that? Syndrome is admittedly easier to say than phenomenon. But to understand why imposter is more commonly thought of as a syndrome, we'd need to take a look at how it's been researched in the past. Imposter phenomenon started with a series of clinical observations back in 1979. Two psychologists, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, were seeing women in their clinics who were intellectually at the top of their game, high achievers. These women were worried about failing, getting caught out. They felt lucky rather than being talented. They used the word phenomenon to describe the enigma of these experiences being associated with successful women. These three broad feelings became associated with the imposter phenomenon through Clance and Imes' work. In fact, a recent review of all of the studies that have happened since 1979, these are still the three key areas that we associate with imposter. The narrative hasn't changed much in 46 years. And I want you to consider one reason for that. The way in which we think of and measure the imposter experience has been pretty consistent for that time too. The idea that these feelings belonged to the women in their minds rather than being a consequence of the situation or context is interesting to me. 
and I think it helps to explain why syndrome seems to fit the phenomenon. We should also consider that despite the term phenomenon being used in the original study, the narratives of that decade most likely influenced interpretation. So earlier in the 1970s, the term fear of success had been coined by Martina Horner. Martina, also a psychologist, had set an exercise for men and women, and she'd had them finish writing a story cue about being successful in a medical setting. Now, remember, back in the 1970s, not many women made it into the top of medical professions. A key difference between the men and women in that study were the ways in which negative imagery was used more by women when writing about the success of a woman. Martina concluded that women had what she thought of as a trade-off mindset when it came to success. The success was synonymous for women with making big life changes and sacrifices. Of course, these narratives and negative stories still exist. Women are unfairly judged on balancing careers and family life in comparison to men. Thinking about the cultural tone that existed when the original research took place is useful, though, because it helped me to think about posing different questions to understand the imposter experience. So how do we measure an enigma? Typically, imposter phenomenon is measured through a diagnostic questionnaire. The Clance imposter scale is just one example. And one of their statements says, sometimes I'm afraid others will discover how much knowledge or ability I really lack. And there'll be a rating with that statement. So that's something you always experience or rarely experience. But what does sometimes or rarely mean? And which situations? What's the context? You know, I want to know when they felt that way, were they writing a report? Were they sat in a boardroom or were they doing their thing on Instagram live? Because these situations, they are so different. I think another problem with diagnostics is that trying to determine how much of a problem that person has It's what's wrong with them. It puts the emphasis back on that individual rather than the situations they are experiencing. I'd like you to consider that imposter feels more at home alongside the word phenomenon than it does syndrome. There's a lot about imposter that's still unexplained and largely because we've not been asking the right questions. This is what motivated me to talk to the entrepreneurial community because here you've got a group of people who are putting themselves out there and taking huge, big risks. Running a business is not easy. So how do entrepreneurs experience imposter phenomenon? Surely they need to be the opposite of somebody who's got self-doubt or fear of exposure and thinks that they're just lucky. Shouldn't entrepreneurs be really self-assured and confident, ready to put themselves into really awkward situations and reframe negative thoughts? This is what those self-help articles in magazines are telling us we need to do. The types of things these articles tell you and me to do are name the feelings, get feedback and talk about your feelings with a coach or psychologist. But what if you are not the problem? Will these tools help you to get ahead then? It was such an interesting opposite for me to think about entrepreneurs as a group. And it felt really obvious to say, tell me about your imposter feelings. Tell me about when you're experiencing this and under what situations. 
I didn't want to use existing questionnaires. I didn't want to go around pseudo-diagnosing people. I wanted to understand their experiences and say, what do you think? How are you making sense of this? Historically, men and women have not wanted to speak about imposter feelings with peers because it feeds the fear of being found out. It's a key barrier for overcoming feelings. When the pandemic happened, we were all suddenly thrust into online ways of working. And I was starting to observe the ways entrepreneurs in some online communities were creating spaces where it was safe to say, I've got self-doubt. I'm really worried about putting myself out there. I don't want to be visible. The contrast with putting forward positive self-image in other online spaces reinforced my idea into researching how entrepreneurs navigate online spaces and imposter feelings. Here's what I found. Entrepreneurs experience imposter phenomenon in unique ways. Moving beyond a fear of failure, feeling like a fraud and waiting to be found out, the women who shared their experiences with me talked about visibility, especially where there are intersections around race and neurodiversity, how they cope successfully with comparison using whatever tools social platforms provide, and curiously how that comparison is so often inward looking. In fact, one of the phrases that stuck with me from the moment I heard it was a woman who said, I miss her, I miss me. And finally, they spoke candidly about competition. In their own words, visibility, comparison and competition are at the heart of imposter feelings and experiences. We'll explore what this means and how it relates to women who are getting ahead and getting things done. Because the women I spoke to had been successfully running businesses for an average of seven years, some of them more than 15 this is why that narrative of something being wrong with the individual didn't feel right to me. These women are getting ahead despite experiencing imposter phenomenon. They've adapted and created ways of coping in a space that is often psychologically unsafe and competitive. Today, we've looked at the imposter backstory, the way in which success was feared by women in the 1970s, and the current narratives that focus on overcoming a syndrome, which of course puts the emphasis back on the individual. I've asked you to consider ditching the word syndrome in favour of imposter phenomenon. It's a phrase which nicely guides us to a place where we consider there's more to imposter than overcoming our fears. In the next episode, I'll be introducing you to a psychological term called context collapse, how it helps us to explain behaviour in online spaces, why it then relates to imposter. That's it for today. I hope you learned something new, or perhaps I've given you a new way to think about what you experience. A quick reminder that rating and reviewing all the podcasts you love really does help other people find them, which is especially appreciated by independent podcasters. For more psychological insights, you'll find all the ways you can connect with me in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. Bye for now.